0: So Luke, the doctor who wanted to give us an orderly account, continues to show us exactly who this Jesus is through four different encounters in chapter 7. We again see glimpses of this upside-down kingdom with an inclusion of a Gentile centurion, a widow, and a sinful woman. Not exactly the ones that Israel thought the Messiah was coming to save, He also continues to show us how Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy with Jesus answering back to John the Baptist's messengers with words that God gave to Isaiah years ago about him. We see with the centurion that faith is not exclusive to the Jews. And even more than that, that a Gentile can have the kind of faith that would move Jesus to heal his servant. And I just thought, what a beauty that God would bless someone for faith that he knows is just a gift from his father, as we saw in Ephesians, that it has nothing to do with the centurion, and yet he receives those blessings anyway. <clears throat> we also see that Jesus can be moved by compassion. There's no recorded exchange between Jesus and the widow, simply that he saw her, he had compassion, and he decided to give his son back to her, her son back to her. I hope you had time to dive into your homework a little bit and see that both of these miracles have shadows in the Old Testament. Healing's done by Old Testament prophets that have a lot of similarities, but yet it's not quite the same. There are real signs that this is the promised one, the one that can do all that and more. At the end of Jesus' conversation with John's messengers, he states, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And then the chapter closes with a picture, a picture of one offended and a picture of one blessed. And the blessed one is the sinful woman. I decided to talk about her because one of the things that has really stood out to me in the book of Luke is his inclusion of the women in Jesus' life. I love, as probably many of you do, that when he talked about Mary and the shepherds coming to visit her after the birth, that she treasured up all those things and pondered them in her heart. I feel like that's such a detail unique to women. We, we see details about Elizabeth. We see details about the, this widow and the sinful woman. And there are other women that we will study later in the book. And that is something that is unique to Luke. And I think such a kindness that we get to study that today. So let's talk about her. Who was this sinful woman? She was someone disregarded by almost everyone in the room that night. A little bit of a cultural kind of help here. In those days, it was not uncommon for uninvited guests to just show up to a party. Houses were open, and dinners like this at a Pharisee's house would most likely have been held in a courtyard, and it would almost be considered a public event. So people could hear that so-and-so was going to, the, to Simon's house, and they would come and sit on the edges of the courtyard and listen to the conversations that were taking place around the table. So it's not shocking that somebody else showed up to this dinner. What's shocking is that it was this person. I do find it interesting to note that a few verses above, in verse 30, we read specifically that the Pharisees rejected the purpose of God for themselves. I believe this hints that Jesus might have known that his guest was, le- or excuse me, his host was less than welcoming, but he still went, and he still reclined at the table. Clearly, word of this dinner was getting around because let's look at verse 37. It says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the prophet brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So, first of all, we learned last year that behold means pay attention, something's about to happen. And then we see she heard and she grabbed that alabaster flask of ointment. This shows she went with intent. She was a woman on a mission. She knew who he was, and she had to see him. But more than that, she also knew that everybody else knew who she was. Let's look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, meaning the woman touching Jesus, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. You can hear the contemptment. You can hear the judgment. Her sin was notorious. Her sin was notorious enough that when people saw her, that's what they thought about, not her. While many statements could be made about that, I would like to point out what that put at risk for her to go to the house. Most of us probably have the luxury of our deepest, darkest sins being hidden but imagine if they weren't. Imagine if everyone knew. And then imagine if the people who judged you most harshly, who didn't even try to hide their contempt, were hosting an event that you felt you had to go to. And remember, this is almost like a public event, so there was going to be other people there. Many people could be there. Would you be willing to walk into such a room? And then even more than that, would you open yourself to? even more by approaching the guest of honor and touching him. The rejection and humiliation that she was risking was immense, but there was something that was even bigger, and that was her love for Jesus. So another visual that could help, I found two different possible scenarios for how they were sitting around the table, but I think both will help you get a visual for how she approached Jesus. One would be that they were sitting, kneeling on their knees and hunched over the tables with their feet tucked under and behind them. The other is that they were fully reclined, leaning on one arm, freeing the other up to eat, and their feet stretched out behind them. But either allows you to see how she would just come up behind him, and that he might not at first even be aware of her presence, but he could feel the tears falling on his feet. As the Pharisees As the Pharisee judges both her and Jesus to himself, Jesus answers him out loud with the parable of the moneylender and immediately points out that his host didn't even offer the basics of hospitality. No water to clean his feet, no welcoming kiss or oil to anoint his head. But instead, the woman provided those things. And not just that, she did even more. She didn't just clean his feet with water, she wet them with the tears of love. She kissed not his head, but his feet. She anointed his feet not just with regular oil, but precious oil. And all of these we talked about earlier today, the fact that she was doing them to his feet and his head was a posture of humility. Cleaning your feet is something a servant would do. She knew her position in relation to this great teacher. Jesus then declares, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. I want to take a minute on that verse, because taken out of context, it can be very misused. Does this mean that she was forgiven because she loved Jesus so much? Absolutely not. And the first place to go to see that that's not the case is the parable itself. So let's look at that in verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? The order is the debt was canceled. And then the debtors will love the money lender. The debt being canceled come first, then the love. We also see this um, idea carried out by the apostle John. In 1 John verse 4, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 10, he says, "'In this is love.'" Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, the be, to be the propitiation for our sins. It is God's love who saves, not ours. The Apostle Paul also follows up in Romans, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, kindness, then repentance? Repentance. And while we're looking at verse 47, let's tackle the second half. He who is forgiven little loves little. Does that mean that some of us need less forgiveness than others? Again, absolutely not. We're going to go back to the Apostle John. 1 John 1.8 says very clearly, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We saw in our homework, and it's a verse that some of us might know well, Romans 3.23 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul later tells us that sin, the wages of that sin is death. But the concept of sin creating a barrier to God is not just a New Testament concept. The Pharisee would have been familiar. In Isaiah 59 too, it says, but your iniquities have, been, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. David wrote a psalm that we sing around here. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So the idea that someone is forgiven little is not a reflection of how little they sin, but rather their lack of recognition of just how much forgiveness they need, how much forgiveness is available to them, perhaps their inability to, to understand that they can't cross that barrier themselves. So how do we get to the place where we realize our need of forgiveness? I think we find an answer to that question in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul tells them that he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We pray for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, enlightened to see our need, enlightened to see the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Then we can follow David's invitation in the Psalms to taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we taste God's goodness? We dive into his word. We do exactly what we're doing right now. We see who it tells us that we are, and we see who it tells us who he is. And I'm going to add something else because it's now come up twice We dig into community. We surround ourselves and we allow ourselves to know and be known by a group of believers. Through that, we can be held accountable and we can be encouraged by all that God is doing. You can't recognize the good news of forgiveness until you realize just how much you need that forgiveness. But it doesn't end there. He doesn't stop with telling us that the wages of sin are death. The very next part of that verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that psalm that we sing around here, let me finish. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Blessed are the ones who are not offended by him. We can't truly understand the beauty and the goodness of God without also grasping how full of ugliness and sin we are. But when we do grasp it and we hear things like, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we can understand why that woman did what she did, why she risked what she did to see this Jesus. She had a heart overflowing with love and gratitude for such good news. Many could and have spent time speculating on what her sin was. There certainly are contextual clues that it is some type of sexual sin. I would like to suggest that the specifics of her sin don't matter. As we've seen in the scriptures, we all have sin that keeps us from God. We all have a deep need for forgiveness. And the response over our sin, whatever it is, should lead us to the feet of this Savior who brings good news. God's forgiveness of my sin should make my heart overflow with the same love and gratitude. And when that happens, your perspective changes. I suddenly see all the blessings that he has bestowed. I begin to see all that he has given me and not what he hasn't or what I want, and I see how gracious he is to love me and not the shortcomings of others. May that be the prayer of our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for inspiring Luke to write this orderly account. I thank you for the words that you have for us as believers and for us as women who follow you. Lord, I pray that the truth said today would dig deep into our hearts and take root. And if there is anything that was untrue or unnecessary, that you would block it from their minds. Now please bless us as we leave here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.